This is another MP3 podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle, Australia. And welcome to Pet Chat. I'm Jane Klein and with me today we have Dr Mark Simpson. He's our vet for the day and Danny Boss as usual. And Mark, what's our special topic going to be today? Jane, I'm uh, here today to talk about arthritis in pets. It's something particularly just with the, you know, while the weather's been glorious, it has been chilly the last couple of nights. Um, and these are the times where we just first start to notice some of those animals that uh, start to seize up in their joints. And so we'd like to have a, a bit of a discussion about, um, uh, about arthritis in pets. Sounds good. And Danny will be talking to a breeder of uh, the breed of the moment. It is the breed of the moment. It was hard to even uh, make some time to talk to this breeder. She breeds Portuguese water dogs and is been, she's been in demand because of uh, the first family in having a Portuguese. States. That's right. The American first family have got the Portuguese water dog as a pet now called Bo. Called Bo, that's right. So we'll be speaking to a breeder of bows. We'll also be very happy to take your calls after 12.30. And we also have a pass to give away for the Western Plains Zoo, known as the Taronga Western Plains Zoo. That's for two adults and two children. And it's all for an African experience. And we'll tell you a little more about that as the show goes on. Welcome to 2NURFM's Pet Chat. And Mark Simpson, we said we were going to talk about arthritis. Yes. And it's being noticed a bit more at the moment. Well, there's a few things that happen that um, lead us to see it more frequently. The first one is that... um uh, interestingly enough, over the last few decades, pets uh, have gotten older on average. Um, the reason for that is that they're living longer, that um, we're seeing many more animals that um, get up into their late teens and even a few um, that get into their early 20s. And as a result, um, the population as a whole has shifted so that they're a little bit older. So we certainly see those diseases of old age a little bit more frequently and arthritis is one of them. And, of course, the second thing is the time of year, that just as we get to this time of year, the lovely summer warm weather is starting to just abate, and it's beautiful at the moment, but the nights are cold, and um, as any people who have sore joints will know, um, that's when things start to seize up and it gets a little bit difficult in the morning to move around, and our pets are just the same. So um, it's mainly older pets who are likely to suffer from arthritis? Certainly predominantly it's the older pets, but we do see some circumstances where um, younger animals will show signs. Arthritis, of course, is um, inflammation of the joints, and particularly those species that have um, those breeds that have um, uh, unusually shaped joints, they can often get arthritic changes when they're very young. People will no doubt know of um, people that have um, uh, Labradors or German Shepherds that have um, hip dysplasia um, and those animals um, poorly bred um, in bread lines or whatever, they'll definitely show signs of inflamed joints when they're young by and large though it's a, it's a disease of dogs that are getting older um, and we're seeing it more commonly in cats as well um, so those animals as they age um, they definitely will start to show signs of having sore, sore joints. Is it fair to say that there's more dogs who suffer than cats though? That's a fair call. The, the, I think the key thing there is um, uh, body weight um, that, um, that you know, the skeletal framework, if you like, um, is designed to carry a certain weight. Um, and if the, if 
you know, if there's an exceedingly excess amount of weight, then that puts extra pressure on the joints and accelerates the inflammation in them. Cats, by and large, we, te- we certainly see some overweight cats, but not nearly as many as we see overweight dogs, and that, that probably means that we're going to see more dogs that have a problem. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of products on the market these days can, that can help dogs and cats in terms of arthritis pain. Obviously, there's the vet medications that you do through prescription, but there's some other things that I know we've got in the store that can help, like a joint joint guard, which is a uh, a great product for older dogs who, who've got um, some pains, and, and it's made with glucosamine and chondroitin. And having the two ingredients together makes a big difference, doesn't it, Mark? You're exactly right. Glucosamine and chondroitin are uh, structural molecules that um, help the joint to repair itself. Um, and when they're included in the diet, there's good evidence to show that that decreases inflammation in the joints. And um, we definitely see that a lot of those animals that are particularly in the earliest phases of uh, inflammation in their joints, they really benefit a lot from um, those things added mm. to their diet. Mm. And what we find, um, where maybe 10 or 15 years ago we were seeing um, dogs at the end stage, cats at the end stage of their disease process when the joints were all knobbly and gnarly and the bones had changed shape, it's very difficult at that stage to make a huge difference. Yep. Whereas now we're looking at animals in the earliest phase when the joint's inflamed, but the bones may not have changed shape. The cartilage is not horribly damaged in the joint, yep. and there's much more we can do. And pet food manufacturers as well these days make mature or senior formulas, Jane, and in those formulas of pet food, uh, they do have glucosamine and chondroitin in them for those joint issues. Not only that, they match the foods much more to the level of activity of the animal hearkening back to the weight problem. Yes. If we see an animal that's, uh, that's eating high-energy foods, which many of the active formulas or the young dog formulas are, then they'll, and as they get older, they do tend to, you know, lay around a little bit more. Um, but if they're eating the active formula, they'll put that um, extra energy away as body weight, and yes. that puts extra pressure on their joints. That's right. So those um, senior foods um, are, are good at controlling that weight. So what should we be looking for if we suspect a bit of arthritis? What will give us that clue? Well, they, they, and it's good to, um, the, the, your question is a good one, particularly because when it's severe, it's relatively obvious. You know, they they won't get up. They'll You can often physically um, feel the crackling and hear the noise as they move around when it's severe. Um, but in the earlier stages, we're just looking for changes in demeanour that they might not be as keen to, you know, the border collie that would run endlessly to get the ball. They pull up stumps maybe when they've had four or five goes or um, oftentimes uh, pain associated with um, with uh, joint function um, will lead to altered patterns of eating. So they might not have their favourite foods. These subtle signs are things that um, people need to be aware of and and obviously the, the more subtle they are, the earlier the signs and the more we can do about it. Mm. Mm. Arthritis. And it is really the chondroitin and the glucosamine that's going to help them. Well, that's one. That, that this is probably the other good thing for us as veterinarians, that once again, hearkening back 10 or 15 years historically, um, we had not much that we could do. We, the corticosteroids, the cortisone-like drugs, um, we could take advantage of those. Um, but now we have a much wider armament of uh, medications and, um, and particularly focusing on uh, uh, 
uh, specific weight control diets and plans um, and we can make a much bigger difference to their quality of life. So there's much more that can be done these days. Mm, help your pets and their arthritic condition. You're listening to 2NURFM's Pet Chat. We'll be looking for your calls if you've got a question you'd like to put to Mark Simpson today after 12.30. And we will be talking to a breeder of that famous, uh, suddenly famous breed, Portuguese water dogs, in just a moment. You're listening to 2NURFM's Pet Chat. And we have a very special person we're talking to, Danny. Jane, we're going to be talking to Margot Turnbull. Now, I thought it's uh, timing's just right to talk about this breed because the American First family have bought a Portuguese water dog called Bo. And we all and want to know what they're like. That's right, exactly. And Margot's owned the Portuguese water dog since 2001 and only after extensive researching did she start breeding these wonderful, lovely companions back in 2006. Her dogs uh, compete in endurance trials, obedience, agility and confirmation shows like your dog shows. And she's also one of a handful of breeders in Australia that have that have Portuguese water dogs. So welcome to the show, Margot. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Um, I know when I was talking to you earlier on, you've been very busy this week with lots of different media um, appointments because it's been such a popular topic. That's correct, yes. <laughs> now, what, uh, why do you think, in, in your own words and your own reasons, did the first American family go with a Portuguese water dog? Well, first of all, from what I understand, they needed a hypoallergenic breed because mm -hmm. one of their daughters is allergic to the dog dander, which all dogs have, but the porties and several other breeds um, have a very minimal amount of it because they have a single coat. So that was on their top of their priority list for that. Yes. And the Portuguese water dog fell into that category. Yes. And then it came down to uh, several breeds they had left, and the porty won out, fortunately, in the end. <laughs> that's it. The now, porty. The porty. So that's, a, that's the um, short name you guys uh, call? Yeah. yeah, they're always called porties. All, all porty people call them porties. <laughs> all right. Can you describe what the dog looks like and what colour do they come in? What's the, t the coat like? Yep, sure. Um, they're a medium-sized dog. They're quite a chunky, solid little dog. Um, they're a very active dog as well. They come in several recognisable colours that we can show in the show ring, which yes. are solid black, solid brown and solid white. Yes. And then you're allowed up to 30% of white on the black and brown markings as well, which is generally just on their four feet, their tail tip, their nose and their chest. Okay. Yeah, I did notice a bit of white on, on Bo, uh, their dog. Uh, yep. So there's one of its legs got a bit of white on it. That's um, right, and that's perfectly acceptable, acceptable for in the show ring and for a pet. Um, that's wonderful, yep. Now, they've got a, generally uh, when they're clipped, they've got a distinctive clip. I think it's called line clip. Why is yep. that? That's right. That's their functional working trim. That's how they um, are clipped on the boats working in Portugal. And it's at the beginning of summer, they clip the dog off completely. And then they let all the chest hair grow back. And that's to protect the heart and lungs against thermal shock diving into the water. Oh. And yet they leave the rear end free for propulsion through the water to work all day because they work a good 12 hours a day in the water. Oh, okay. So what were they bred to do originally? They were bred to work on the um, fishing boats before radar and winching and all that came in. They used the dogs. So the dogs would pull the nets across to other boats. They would dive overboard and retrieve any gear or fish that escape the nets when they're pulling the nets in. They used them as courier dogs between boat and boat and boat to shore to take messages. And they were also very good against pr protecting and alerting to pirate attacks, shark attacks and seal attacks. 
wow. So that that's a lot of, <laughs> I guess, a lot of things that the dog was bred to do. And like even pulling out the nets, that's quite a bit of work. They've got to have a bit of strength in them. No wonder that's they're right. active dogs. They are. They're very active. And that's why they're such strong, cobby, solid little dogs, because they had to be able to just work all day and very muscular through swimming all day and pulling nets. So is there any sort of common health issues or problems that the breed might have? <laughs> All the good breeders here, um, we're screening for hip and elbow dysplasia, um, we're doing annual eye checks because they get a disease, an eye disease called uh, PRA, progressive retinal atrophy, where the dogs go blind eventually. Right. Um, they've just brought out a genetic test for junior cardio, which is a heart disease which kills the puppies under 12 months of age. So there, whilst there are a lot of tests to be done, all the porties are being tested for them by the good breeders. So you're pretty much guaranteed of getting good stock if you buy from a good breeder. That is the thing with, with breeding purebred dogs. Uh, like yourself, when I was spe speaking to you this morning, you mentioned you, you had many years of extensive research to make sure you've got the right and correct breeding lines to begin your breeding program with. That's exactly right. Um, Anybody can buy two dogs and make them together and just pump out puppies with no thought to health or genetics or temperament, which yes. is vitally important. Yeah. So most good breeders will get into a breed, do, go, go through all the ropes of, of showing and learning about the genetics and the history, doing all your health testing, sourcing good stock. In, in our case in Australia, we've had to import stock in because we don't have any here, so we spend a lot of money doing our research and importing and crossing our fingers and putting the best dog to the best bitch and hopefully producing really sound, healthy, good-temperamented puppies. And how many breeders are there of Portuguese water dogs in Australia? In Australia, you've probably got about 10, mm -hmm. um, a few scattered on the west coast, more on the east coast, yes. but that's not very many breeders at all, and it's most not, of them no. have one or two litters a year, if that. Yes. It's usually when we want something for ourselves, or we've brought a good dog in, and we want to add that to the gene pool, so there's, there's not many being bred at all. And finally, what sorts of families would they, uh, those dogs be suited for? Um, any family that's active, they're a very active dog. Think Border Collie-like. Yes. Uh, they're bred to work, as I said, 12 hours a day, so yep. very, very active dogs. So any family that does uh, lives by the water would be brilliant, but any, any family that does a lot of walking, exercising, swimming, playing, etc., etc. They're, they're very busy dogs. They're very intelligent dogs. They get bored very easily if you mm. don't use up and burn off that energy. So, yeah, active families, they're terrific for. And do they sort of uh, relate to the whole family or they more so will find one person in the family that they'll sort of bond yeah. with? They'll, they'll love their whole family, know yep. their pack, but they will have one specific leader there. They're a very strong-willed dog and you'll find there'll be one person in the family that they will just listen to completely and devotedly follow. Well, thank you very much for taking the time to explain the, 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 the breeding and also what type of dog the Portuguese water dog is. Appreciate that, Margot. My pleasure. Thank, thank you. you. Bye. Margot Turnbull, who's a breeder of, of Portuguese water dogs, and, of course, there's a lot of interest in those at the moment. You're listening to 2NURFM's Pet Chat, and it's half past 12, and we'll be asking you for your calls. If you've got a question you'd like to put to Mark Simpson, our vet, then about your pet perhaps, then give us a call, 49216216 will get you through to us. Could be about anything to do with your pet. Give us a call. And you're listening to 2NURFM's Pet Chat. And we have a caller, 49216 is, 216 is the number, two of those, is the number to ring to get your question through to our pet vet. And today Mark Simpson is our pet vet. Wall has rung in. Hello, Wall. Oh, hi. I... I, I... Actually, what I'm ringing up is just about sleeping habits. We've got the most beautiful, gorgeous, fluffy, 11-and-a-half-year-old Burmese 
uh, cat. And she's, I think she sleeps nine-tenths of a day away. <laughs> and we're just wondering, you know, she's in really good health and everything like that. So there's no problems that way like that. But by gosh, she can sleep. Is, is that about right? Because I suppose she's about 70 year old now, isn't she? She is it. Yep, you've got the numbers just right there, and um, and we do find that uh, cats, as they age, they do tend to get um, a little bit uh, more relaxed and and uh, and. He's and, relaxed. <laughs> well, and in the wild, that's exactly what you know. Cats, are the type of predators they are, um, they do spend large amounts of time just lazing around um, with the small explosive periods of time when they are attacking prey. So, um, and, my wife and I. <laughs> You're the prey. <laughs> yeah, oh, no, we, it's my own fault. Uh, we're old and we've got very thin skin. <laughs> and we made the sad mistake when she was a young cat to uh, uh, rush at her and grab her on the, tickle her on the tummy and things <laughs> And that's, she's learned to fight and fight really well. But often we come away quite bleed, bleeding. <laughs> and and that, that's one you know that you have got to when they're young look at those things how they're going to behave as they get older and it is much harder once they're her age to yeah. get her to change behaviour but it sounds to me like um, she's sleeping what would be normal the key thing I always say to people is um, as they become less active make sure you have an accurate number on their weight because if you're monitoring their weight um, then that's going to give you clues before they get to the stage where they're sore in joints and um, doing less because they've actually got sore joints. That was another reason I rang because I, I was listening this afternoon about the arthritis because we do do that about once a month. Uh, we sort of weigh, just hold her in my arms, weigh her that way, and then you know, get a weight like that. And she's and she's sitting pretty constant. She does. She's a really beaut cat in the, in the sense that she does disappear for hours during the day, but I think she sleeps in quite a few gardens around the area too, <laughs> as well. <laughs> and, uh, but uh, uh, and that was just one thing. I was just we just we were just sort of wondered. We were talking about the other night, like you now about the amount of sleep uh, young Minaboo can can have in one day. Well, it's certainly one of the things I'd get you to watch just with respect to the arthritis is if that sleep is in, if her rest is increasing, then that's certainly something to get checked. But it sounds to me, sounds to me like she's got several places on the go. Yes, she has, yes. She's got uh, uh, neighbours who can constantly say she was in again. They love her <laughs> for that reason, like, you know, because she just pops in and sits in their garden and, and has a snooze. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for your call, Wall, and good luck with your cat. <laughs> Four nine two one six two one six will get you and your call through to Mark Simpson today. Um, in the meantime, Mark, I've got a, a question too. Some friends of ours have a, a dog who is a bull mastiff cross, a biggish dog. He has fits. I think they think he was probably bred as a, a pig dog. Um, he's currently being treated with phenobarb, I think, but and and that probably helps with the fits. But their question is how. Is there some way they can comfort the dog when, when he's actually in the middle of a, of a fit? Oh, and the answer to that is they surely can. Um, and dogs, just as people, have um, uh, idiopathic epilepsy. They get um, epileptic seizures. There are a number of other things that can cause seizures, and people should not automatically assume that each seizure that they see an animal have is an epileptic one, but, um, but they are very common. And we see an awful lot of them, and they do respond very well to medication, particularly phenobarbitone. Um, but there are a number of other medications that help as well. Um, if the, phenobarb usually is very effective at um, a 
causing the, the seizures to cease altogether. And so if they're still having breakthrough seizures, it's often worth getting um, the blood level of phenobarbitone assessed. Um, one of the th- strange things about the drug, phenobarbitone, is that the body becomes accustomed to processing it, that the liver will actually um, do it better so that the concentration of the drug when you first start is much higher than what it will equilibrate several months down the track to. So getting that blood level checked is important. So may need, in fact, um, more as time goes on. Exactly. Mm. But certainly if they are, if an animal is having a seizure and doesn't time just with things like that, um, you know, a 10, 20, 30 second seizure seems to go for 10 minutes. Um, But um, particularly dogs are very sensitive to that tactile support um, and gently um, patting them and using a calm voice um, are certainly things that um, lessen their distress without a doubt. Of course, um, they are not in control of their their mouth and people do have to be careful about putting their hands around their head, but most of the time, um, gently patting them and using your voice does make them feel better. Hold their paw. Exactly. <laughs> Sounds good. Thank you for that. Now, Danny, you've come up with um, with an interesting story, and I should just say 49216216, that's the number to ring, and we have a line free right now. You've got a question you'd like to put to Mark? Danny. Yeah, this is an interesting way of marketing a product, I guess, but it can only happen in America. But what's happened is Caesar, which is a brand of pet food in America, they've released, released a new uh, breakfast product for your pet. But um, to make it a bit more different, they're issuing a delivery of a newspaper for your doggy <laughs> in a the mornings paper. while they're eating their Caesar dog food for breakfast. Is it written in dog language? Well, it's apparently they have fa- they have found out that in the mornings, uh, pets and owners can spend a bit of time bonding. So that's the research that they've had. Uh, uh, Anne Harrington says, Our research indicates that breakfast time can be a bonding experience for small dogs and their owners. Therefore, what better way to show your small dog you love them than to offer a special breakfast meal prepared exclusively for them with a newspaper that uh, talks about all sorts of doggy news. So presumably the owner has to read the news to the dog. That's right, and that creates that bonding too. I think it's a good idea, isn't it? Oh, Something wonderful. different. But it was <laughs> it was uh, it was released in eight cities around the US, and it was very successful apparently. So quite an interesting thing there. Very interesting. Well, um, Western Plains Zoo, known as Taronga Western Plains Zoo these days, um, has all sorts of wonderful things. And Mark can bring us right up to date on that because he's just been there. And um, they, they're going very African, I think, Mark, aren't they? Well, they have an, um, and and the way that the zoo is set out, they have different parts of the world. So there's the Eurasian part and the um, African part. But they the People can go there now and do little um, tours, guided tours. Um, and uh, I know we went uh, while we were up there on um, the, uh, the African Zufari and um, we had an excellent time um, getting up close and personal to a number of the animals. And feeding some of the big ones. They, they do. They, the, the, on these uh, guided tours, they'll um, take you to the back of the enclosure to some of the night yards. Um, and, uh, and we had a great time hand-feeding the rhinoceros and um, seeing the tigers up close and the lions. It, was, uh, um, it made what, you know, the trip to the zoo is always a special one, but this one was just extra special. Extra spe- now, you actually stayed on, on, the, uh, on the premises, didn't you, so to speak? That's right. The, uh, the Western Plains Zoo... Uh, 
now has um, two accommodation facilities on site there um, and uh, uh, we stayed at one of those in one of their um, very nice tents. Um, we're expecting a night full of, um, you know, the strange blood-curdling howls and roars. We were within sight of the uh, the back part of the elephant enclosure um, but it was a beautiful, quiet night. Um, we had, I think, one lion roar early in the evening and otherwise it was great. So I, I commend it highly. I think it's a wonderful prize you've got. Uh, it's a great prize and we'll tell you just exactly what it involves in just a moment but Diane has rung in on 49216216 and so we'll see what question she's got. Hello Diane. Oh hello I was just listening to Mark talking about arthritis and unfortunately we had a, a beautiful border collie and arthritis got to in the end but um, it got to her and we had to have her put down. She was nearly 13 but now our dog's um, a Labrador border collie cross and what I do with her is I put oil into her food of a night, or not, I feed her now at midday rather than of a night because I think the main meal of a, a midday is a bit better. And um, either olive oil or vegetable oil into the food. And while it's good for the coat, it's also good for the joints. So that could be a help. Diane, one of the things that we find is that... Um there, there often are little snippets of information that make their way into, you know, the, the general law about looking after things. Um, and um, certainly the, the use of particular oils and the essential fatty acids, the, you know, the fish oils, the omega-3 and omega-6 fatty acids, they certainly have an anti-inflammatory effect um, and certainly have a, um, an, a, a beneficial effect on the the, um, the surfaces of the joints. It's a little bit of a balancing act, though, because when you give them um, those oils, you want to give them just the right amount so they're not putting on weight because the weight that they put on can outdo the benefits of the oils that you provide them. The, the, the interesting thing is that we often find the... The, um, that some of the oils, particularly some of the, um, the ones you've described, may not necessarily have the right proportion of those omega-3 and omega-6 fatty acids in them. So it's just important to make sure you've got the right oil to give them in the right amount. Also, um, I give her a couple of times a week just a small tin of sardines. And the fish oil, you've hit the nail on the head there. The fish oils are, um, you know, they're... they're uh, human health experts are constantly singing the praises of them and they have wonderful proportions of those essential fatty acids so that's that's definitely doing some good but i think another thing with her is by not feeding her at night feeding her in the middle of the day she's not sort of sleeping after a meal so this way she's exercising after a meal which because she's she's quite solid she's about 34 kilos and um, so it's, as you say, to watch their food. But this is what I found too. It makes a difference by feeding in the middle of the day. I think that the, the, there is a little difference made by the, their activity levels after a meal will help the blood flow to the stomach. You've got to be a little bit careful depending on the breed, though, because some of those larger deep-chested dogs, if they're exercised after a meal, um, they can be exposed to some of those uh, gastric torsion, twisted stomach-type problems. So um, it's a bit of an individual breed-related thing. Well, she's, she's pretty tough, but as I say, with the Border Collie and the Lab breed, you've got to be aware of their joints. So um, all in all, I think maybe just the sardines possibly are just the wise move just a couple of times a week. I think you're right. Mm. Sounds good, Diane. Thanks okay. for your call okay. <laughs> and good luck. Bye. Bye. And Jackie has rung in on 49216216. Hello, Jackie. Hello. You've got a question you'd like to put to David? Yes, David. I've got oh, a sorry, Mark. 
<laughs> you can't have David today. It's Mark. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I've got a Pomeranian. She's 10 this year. Um, I was given her last year. Now, I've got this. She's got this thing. She will not leave my side. If I go out to the shop, she frets that much till I get back. And she cries and cries till I pick her up. And I've walked in and I've patted her and then walked to the kitchen and tried to ignore her. And I've left her home with my husband and she still frets, will not stay with him. And it's not an uncommon thing for us to see in um, particularly very sensitive little breeds, um, maybe that have been through, you know, one or two um, different households, for them to, to develop this thing known as separation anxiety. Yeah, she has been to a couple of homes before I got that. Yeah, and, and it, it's really, really difficult. Um, and just um, as in people who have anxiety problems, um, they're often things that are not easily turned around just, you know, with one or two little steps they're often quite involved um and they often involve a you know very specific plan of um of behavior management of um of desensitizing and and being aware of the things that um set them off in rare cases we even have to use um medication anxiolytic anxiety relieving medication um and your little palm might well be a candidate for that by, by the uh judging by the intensity that oh, you've described she really is she's a my husband will nurse her the whole time at the shops, but she shakes, she shivers at him. Look, and it's just heartbreaking to see an otherwise healthy animal um, that has such a, a um, you know, an overwhelming worry about what might happen. Um, I'd certainly, you know, uh, talk to your veterinarian and, um, and discuss separation anxiety with them and see where they lead you. Mm. Mm. I've even tried walking out the door, waiting, say, 10 minutes, and then come back into her. To let her know that I am coming home, you know, but she still, you can hear her. And I think, oh God. And she would be very sensitive to how you feel as well. And as you as you go, oh, I'm all worked up, she would just, you know, be getting more worked up. So, but certainly get some specific, there are specific programs and things that you can be aware of. Um, and as I said, in, in extreme cases, like you've described, medication often makes a bit of a difference mm-hmm. as well. She won't take to my husband. She won't take to him first thing in the morning for her snack. And then even when he comes home from work, she'll bark and bark and bark at, bark at him. And he'll go, come here, Bob, what's wrong? And she'll run and hide behind me. You know, she won't have nothing sort of to do with him. Like, because I'm home with her 24-7, I think. Oh, and she would be highly bonded to you and she would feel very secure with you and um, and he going away and coming back reminds her of those, you know, that separation type arrangement. Um, so it it's all fits that pattern of separation anxiety um, and her level, I'd, I'd be really keen for you to, um, to get some professional help. Yeah, I'm going to have to with her. Sounds as though okay, it's a good idea. Thank you, Jackie. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Now, you're listening to 2 and URFM's Pet Chat, and I reckon it's a good time for us to see about giving away our prize. Now, this prize is for two adults and two, children's, two children, and it involves a visit to Taronga Western Plains Zoo and also a wild Africa encounter, which is ooh, going around on a on a on a bus, a tour bus, and driving out to the African savannah exhibit. So you would need to 
be in a position to take this um, this prize. The uh, pass, well, both of them together are valid until the, the beginning of the beginning of September, I think. No, let's say August. No, no, no. Right, the end of end of. I've got it right now. They're valid until the end of October. They can be used then until the end of October. So if you can take two adults and two children and make use of this pass, I'll be taking caller number four on uh, 49216216. It is 2NURFM's Pet Chat UB40 there. And uh, we are talking about... Um, oh, Things to do with your pets, and we're joined at the moment. Um, you've rung in with a question for... Uh, a for Jack Russell. A question about a Jack Russell. Okay. Yes. Mark's listening. Okay. Hi, Mark. Um, I'm ringing you regarding a Jack Russell. We had... Well, she's nearly two years old now. At night time, she's an angel, but during the day, she's a Jekyll and Hyde, and we've tried everything, like teaching her with treats to do the right thing and so on and so forth, but um, she's getting a little beyond us now. Have you any ideas... What um, when you say a little bit beyond you? What sort of things is she doing in the day? Well, if the door rings or the door knocks, she um, she'll bark to let you know there's someone there. But then, as soon as you go to the door to answer it, she doesn't just bark; she screams, literally screams. And um, she won't stop. And you open the door, and she's still doing it when you let someone in. And then she'll jump all over them, and you'll say, "Down, Chrissy, down!" But no way will she do as she's told. And um, but at night time, when Bob and I are on our own, she is an absolute angel. And it's not this is, this, with Jack Russell Terriers. This is not an uncommon thing for us to find that they they're a very high intensity breed. They're um, they're you know um, little working dogs. They're um, they've been bred for you know particularly hunt, hunting rodent pests around farms. Yeah. And and to do that sort of thing, they've got to have this high level intensity. And they transfer that to their uh, their pet life. And often it leads to circumstances like this. And and it is you know um, it, remi- it re- your question reminds me now that um, that Danny's organised an annual animal behaviourist to come in and um, and have a talk next week while we're having a discussion, um, and it also reminds me that um, that you know behaviour problems now rank as the number one reason that um, that uh, healthy dogs are euthanised. Um, dogs that are before their time um, that have problems like uh, your lovely little JRT, um, they, they they do reach a point where their quality of life is compromised. Um, so we don't underestimate the seriousness of it. But I think the key thing here is um, a concerted approach. A, you know, one or two little tips that we can do over the radio might not be nearly enough. And um, getting to uh, to your veterinarian, talking to them about the behaviour, formulating a plan with medication if appropriate. Oh, they're, can you? Yep, oh, wow. they're things that you need to, to to talk to them about. Right, we'll do that. I have greyhounds also, and um, she absolutely loves it when one of them goes in the run because she'll just run up and down, up and down, and that's quite good because after that, after the we only have two now, two um, pets. But um, she, you know, she'll quieten down for a little while. And they, 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 they are that electrically full of energy. She's very intelligent. She knows exactly what you're saying. And um, she'll fetch something and you know it's playtime. You've got to play. But it's full on all day long. Diane, you'd be um, uh, interested to know, last weekend I had a friend come from Queensland going to the Sydney Royal Easter Show. And she brought her, with her ten Jack Russells. Oh, she and they stayed overnight at my house. <laughs> 
<laughs> and they're staying on their way back up to Queensland as well. But, you know, I, I thought the same thing. Oh, my, I 10 Jack Russells, but they were well, quite well behaved, very well trained. So This one um, actually was bought for a Christmas present, like the Christmas before last, <laughs> and her pedigree is as long as your arm. But um, I just feel that I've really come to the end of my tether. If I can't get a bit to be quieter and stop this continual barking, because if we shut her out in the garden, that's hopeless because she'll just stand at the door and um, just bark, bark, bark till we let her back in again. Definitely have a talk to your veterinarian and, yes, and they'll, they'll give you some direction. Sounds good nice advice. Talking, nice talking to you, Mark. We go back a long, long way, about 20 years ago with greyhounds. Uh, and, and and I um, have worked with greyhounds for a long time as well. So yes, I know you did. You were one of my vets once upon a time. Saved a bitch of mine, or a brood bitch. Well done. Yes, he was marvellous. Loved him dearly. He, he was absolutely fantastic with the brood bitch. Great. Yeah. Now, two annual RFMs, pet chat, and time for just one more call, and Margaret joins us. Hello, Margaret. Oh, hi, good afternoon. How are you? Got a question for Mark? Got a question for Mark. Is Mark... Um, Mine's very similar to the previous caller. It's a, a behavioural problem. I have a little cross Shih Tzu Maltese and she is just nearly 12 weeks old but she's showing signs of very aggressive nature from time to time. She'll just suddenly snap and she really goes, you know, really wild. And, the, and you're at a position now where um, at that age um, there's a lot more that can be done. Once we're talking about animals that are, you know, two and four and five and nine, um, a lot of those behaviours are cemented into their brain and they're really difficult to change. But um, at this age, this is a time where um, uh, getting involved in one of the puppy preschools, getting them... Yes, um, been to that for the last four weeks. Yeah. Um, uh, it's good to talk to the, the, um, the, the generally a veterinary nurse or veterinarian will organise those puppy preschools and they'll have contacts within the behaviour industry that it's good to get to um, and I'd recommend those strongly. Yes. Good um, luck, Margaret. To, yeah. I just say, this one, to me, she's just, um, it's not a playful thing, it's a really angry thing and she keeps biting at you. Um, so I do this, the normal thing if she's on your lap and she wants to bite, I'll just ignore her and put her down. And you have got to ignore her, um, but definitely ask for some more specific strategies there, and this is the time where you need to do that at her age. Okay, and the toilet training, how long does that usually take, Mark? Well, it varies between individual dogs, but um, but usually they pick up on it, um, you know, by this age they should be making a, a solid effort at it. But once again, there's some specific strategies that, that'll, um, you know, uh, give you some head starts in that direction. Oh, good. I'll talk to them about it then next week. Good luck with that, Thank Margaret. You very much for that. And that brings us pretty well to the end of Pet Chat today. Thank you, Mark Simpson. Thanks for having me, Jane. And thank you, Danny Boss. And we'll be back, the three of us, back next week after next Friday after the twelve o'clock news on Two and U R F M.